The Team Workouts Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This is where we try and uh, go uh, behind the thoughts that animate the actions of those who uh, create the art. And today, uh, very, very honored to have the wonderful uh, uh, Chigozi Obiyama with us. Uh, Chigozi, thank you very much for your time. Thank uh, you. Uh, the Fisherman, of course, is uh, uh, just an absolutely brilliant, brilliant read. I mean, uh, cannot thank you enough for uh, putting that story uh, out there for us to read and, uh, and to think about, actually. Um, <laughs> At a very, uh, you know, at a very young age, you seem to have uh, taken on the burden of telling a very difficult story. Uh, how did that come about? Where did that uh, uh, idea strike first? So uh, my reading is quite interesting. Actually, haven't listened to a lot of writers, uh, you know, who say that oh, I don't know where I'm going to, and the writing just takes me there. Uh, I am kind of a control freak, actually. So the an idea, I stumbled into an idea. Um, and that was the case for the fishermen. So it was during a telephone call with my dad back in 2009 that the, the germ of the idea was planted. Uh, so he just mentioned in passing how my two oldest brothers who, when they were children, used to have this sibling rivalry, had now at 30 become like so close that they were like visiting together. And he was like, Chigozi, can you imagine that? And after the goal ended, I just started to think, so what, how did that love develop now or had it always been there? So before you knew, I, started, I conceived of this character, this, this boy who loves his brother so much. And I began to ask myself, what can come in between uh, brothers and and you know like and destroy that love and turn it into the direct opposite which is hate and and really so that that was what I tried to explore in the in the novel so how can a character and and in my writing in general I'm, I'm very interested in that evolution internal shift from one place to the other how can a person who is lowly and humble become psychotic you know what leads to that? that? That's one of the things that I'm very interested in, in fiction. And the, the interesting part, of course, also was, um, you know, the human story through the prism of history, a history yes. that's been uh, told, um, I mean, to use a, a very hackneyed cliche, that's been uh, told through the eyes of the victor, so to speak. Yes, yes. Uh, that, must have been, uh, that must have been quite an exercise, no? Yeah, yeah. So I, I you know, I... I like to say, because people ask me, and earlier in the session I had, uh, you know, an hour or two ago, someone asked the same question, is, is it autobiographical? And, you know, I always will say that um, I don't know whether it is or not, because uh, what I try to do, what I think uh, good fiction should aspire to do at least, is you take lived experience. <laughs> Let's say you and I, for instance, uh, we do a road trip from, from here to Delhi or wh wherever, and uh, we experience a lot of things, you know, during the course of that journey. I want to be able to write about that experience in such a way that it becomes unrecognizable to you. And it is, in fact, your lived experience. <clears throat> so, 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 you know, we take historical pieces, we take things that exist. The town, for instance, in which the, the novel is set, is, is an actual place. I, I try to depict it as much as I remember it. But most people read the novel and they say, you know, this is Akure, but it's also something else. 
So that's, that's, that's how I approach my fiction. There's uh, also, I mean, you know, in my head, I'm always thinking that, uh, considering that you're seeing all of this through the prism of history, that grandiose phase, mm -hmm. phrase tends to get into your head about, <laughs> you know, writing the wrongs of history and, yeah. and telling the story um, and bearing the burden of a whole continent, etc. But are there, are there things that enter your, um, uh, uh, you know, your, your sphere of research in that way? Are they points that you uh, do consider uh, sometimes? Or are they too grandiose to think about? Uh, well, it depends on, the, uh, on what I'm doing. Uh, so my second novel, for instance, uh, which came out in 2019, um, I did a lot of research. I, I used to say that, look, I wouldn't do research as a writer because I, f I feel like we, we, we take for granted or, or we actually underexplore the power of, 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 of the imagination. Um, and, you know, we rely, we're just talking about the phone and, and technology, and we, we tend to rely on these things that are material. But uh, if, if you think about how one writes, how one sees the world, like if, if I'm to uh, document this moment, you know, you and I are speaking, I would probably just write about the obvious things, you know. How is it that Setak has a blue beard? That is, that is, that is eminently fascinating to me. So, but that is very obvious. And I, you know, I describe the pool and the folks, you know, in the background and, and all of that. But if I say, no, I'm not going to write about this moment now, I'm going to wait till tonight or even tomorrow when memory cannot be trustworthy anymore. Then what am I doing at, in that moment? I am actually fictionalizing things because you have to trust on hindsight. So I would never be able to recreate this moment in its totality. So, so that's what I like to do. You give that distance, that suppression, and everything comes to you. So the unobvious things, you know, you twisting your finger becomes symbolic. And it may be that you didn't twist your finger, and I just somehow thought that you did, and I put it in there, and, and people would read the, the work, and they're like, oh, wow, that is... There's something about this moment in this story where a finger is being twisted. Mm. So, so for me, that is, that is more important than research. But yes, sometimes um, I do you know, consult with, with different materials and historical documents, sure. uh, like I did in an orchestra of minorities, yeah. uh, because I wanted to tell a, a story about a tradition that is like 700 years old or something. Sure. Is it difficult uh, to uh, reconcile the creative chaos of ideas with the academic research that is the academic rigor that is required to uh, to tell a story that is actually based on fact uh, and not entirely fiction? Uh, is there like a meeting point that's a convenient meeting point that makes you happy saying, okay, this is where I stop? So I am actually going through that dilemma now because uh, my third novel comes out next year, early next year, and it's with the publishers now. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, I had a difficult time because it's, it's set in, in, in the Biafran War, 67 to 70. So it's a very historical novel. Uh, but you're ticketed in information, you know, in this forest of information. And at some times, time, you get lost, you know. And, and I felt like, why am I actually doing this to myself? Why don't I just reconstruct, you know, like take a few details and and say that this, this is not that war, but some war in a nameless country and all of that. Uh, so, but, but trying to get the historical 
uh, accuracy of things, uh, you know, uh, down on paper it can be difficult. And, you know, because you have to do a thorough process of selection. Um, I like to say that in fiction, uh, in fact, as in life, uh, we, we try to embody anything through a sequence of reducing agents, you know. Uh, you just, you know, the door here is a reducing agent. It keeps away the chaos and noise. Uh, everything is a reducing agent. The body is a reducing agent. A marriage is a reducing agent because you have selected just one person and you have <laughs> discriminated against one billion people in, sure. in India. So, so the same thing. So uh, you try to narrow in into one particular character and then you follow that character. So it's a... It's a radical walk exercise in, in, in reduction. So how do you do that when you have vast archives of material? Uh, is, is, is a difficult thing. That's wonderfully put, actually. And uh, yeah, to see uh, things reducing agents is a, <laughs> yes. is a very interesting perspective, which is, yes. which is why um, uh, this conversation becomes important. Uh, it's also important to remember that we're living in a world of obstacles <laughs> and, and social media, and everyone wants uh, pointers to uh, uh, everything and not the long form sometimes. So um, as, uh, if someone were to take this, the first tentative steps towards writing uh, about the subject that you have chosen uh, to write about, what would your advice be to them in three to five points? Uh, well, read. I mean, people often think that that is a cliche, but, but you cannot write until you have understood what people have done before you and what, what, what it obtains to, to, to write. I mean, you, you have to, in fact, first of all, define what fiction is. Uh, most of, or what good fiction is. <laughs> what, what is the difference between uh, a good book and a great one? And one that is probably not even good. Uh, so, so yeah, so read very well. Uh, and believe that you have something to say and, 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 and that is different or unique in its own way. Um, and, and uh, you know, don't submit to fads. I think that sometimes there could be movements that, that, that come up and, you know, there's no need to stay with, with your vision if you believe it's true. And for, I would say, um, a lot of writers come to me and they say, look, we want to change the world. We want to, through our fiction, we want to make sure that we achieve this aim and that. And I... I am taken aback most of the times by that. I mean, what book do you know that has actually changed the world? I mean, yes, I mean, you can, you can change the mind of one person. You can persuade somebody. But if you take on that cosmic burden on, your, on yourself, I don't know that is, is good for your psyche as a writer. <laughs> you tell a story um, and leave, you know, the book to do its own thing in the world. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel like so many people are saddled with this responsibility. Mm. <laughs> I want to fight racism. I want to wipe out these and that out of the world. Uh, and then you will get encumbered by, by that. Uh, and fifth, I, I think, um, you know, don't have big expectations because writing is a gamble. I think we stumble into success. Uh, nobody uh, should produce anything that is art and think, you know, for sure this book is going to be well received. I'm going to sell a million copies or I'm going to be invited to speak with Satak at, at, in Jaipur. No, that is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these are um, 
uh, recipes for food for thought and of <laughs> course uh, the absolutely uh, wonderful concept of reducing agents and blocking things out. Maybe yes. a good idea to chew on that for a bit. Chigozi uh, Obiyama, this is absolutely yeah. wonderful. Thank, Thank you, you very much for so generously uh, sharing your thoughts and giving us food for thought as well. Thank you very much. It's uh, a pleasure. Thank you. This is, of course, the Teamwork Arts podcast. Um, uh, hopefully, you'll uh, think about what has been said because that's a great first step, is it not? Thank you for watching the Teamwork Arts podcast.